Ready for some experimental theater? Always trust the process. Welcome to Trust the Process, a podcast produced by the Martin Trust Center for MIT Entrepreneurship. My name is Chris, and I'm the host around here. Today's episode features Trust Center entrepreneurs and residents Jenny Larios Berlin. Right, they, they have started. Is that more like a musical or as a drama? And Macaulay Kenny. Look, it doesn't all happen organically. Like sometimes you just gotta put in a little bit more elbow grease. In today's episode, they discuss different leadership styles, advising undergraduate students, and maintaining friendships across time and place. Okay, well, I guess this is a podcast for people that don't know us, right? So we might as well. So Macaulay, my friend, lecturer and EIR at MIT, tell me about yourself. Whatever you want, actually. About myself. Yeah, whatever you want. I feel like that's almost more challenging than saying where I grew up because it has the opportunity okay. to be more relevant. You know what? Let's start with what are you doing this weekend? What am I doing this weekend? I'm going to go see Penn & Teller this um, afternoon or this evening. Um, I don't really like giving like wish lists for birthdays and Christmas, etc., which has really stressed my parents out and has resulted in some creative <laughs> gifts on their part. Um, lovely gifts, very well-intentioned, but I had never heard of Penn & Teller prior to this. They're magicians. Um, you, Jenny had actually mentioned them when we were developing this public speaking storytelling narrative. She goes, oh, we could, we could do some acts like Penn & Teller. I was like, I've never heard of that before. Um, and then I got tickets to Penn & Teller. So I'm doing that. And then I'm going to the ART for a theater show on Saturday. I think it's I real women have curves. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. They, they have started. Is that more like a musical or as a drama? I should know and I don't. I have a friend who has season tickets. And so I kind of get to the luxury of being blissfully unaware. And then she reaches out being like, do you want to see this show? I have tickets, which yeah. is a great friend to have. Yes. No, I, I love the ART. It's actually one of the first um, public nonprofit theaters. And at least an article that I was reading was talking about how they wanted to use that as a venue to do experimental art. Hmm. Um, and so I don't know if you ever went to the donkey show at yes. the ART. Mm -hmm. uh, I went when it was in the... No, the Oberon, yes, right? Yes, that's where I went. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, same. I, I forget if I went for my birthday or for Christmas or something. But I just loved how, like, it took this really fun twist on A Midsummer Night's Dream. And so it was like you're basically at this... It almost felt like Studio 54, but you see the drama kind of playing out uh, while you're kind of having a good party dance. I liked it. I went for a bachelorette party and my friends loved it. They still talk about it. I think I was in a cranky mood that day. I remember being like, oh, I was fine, but like not life changing. I was happy to like ram out. Um, but I've been to two really good shows at the ART. I, there was a tap dancing performance from one of Harvard's artist in residence. I don't think her particular title. She's a woman of color. Okay. Um, that was phenomenal. And then I they did 1776. A woman. Yes. 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 yes, yes I yes. love that. Yes, um, that yes. was phenomenal. And they were That's incredibly such a good talented. Show. Yeah. It was kind of billed as the pre version of Hamilton, because I, yeah. I, I which I think was appropriate. And having Justine Hamilton, I could have seen it right? more so. <laughs> One of my favorite um, parts of that musical is when Ben Franklin is arguing for um, the national bird to be the turkey. 
I think it's a it it it's funny because it's it's a hilarious song, but also like yeah, really good points. Like it's a nutritious animal. It <laughs> it, it it helped us survive as colonialists. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> and they're still wandering the streets of Cambridge now that I'm like oh a new car God. owner. I have encountered like being stuck behind the turkeyism or a turkeyism driving. You're like, well, this is the life we lead. That and geese, man. Because mm. they have to walk in line. I so have. it's not like you have a group and then it's like oh well as a group they're gonna walk together no 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 it's 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 they they're like no no we're gonna be orderly and i'm like honestly we're all waiting for all of you to cross the line in a single file fashion i feel really bad about this but i have a deep hatred of canadian geese like i saw fly away home as a child thought that was really cute on board with them and then and i rode an undergrad and the geese will hang out on the dock and they just shit all over the dock really? and yeah and so then you put your, you carry your boat and you put it in the water and then you get in and you're walking along the dock and then you have to push your boat along the dock yeah and you're touching, covered, all, you're oh. touching all the goose poop not to mention they're like getting in the way and so I'm like ever since then, I was like I really just hate them <laughs> You know, they really do take over the city, too, because I remember uh, when geese are in their nesting season. Mm -hmm. So there's this path on my commute um, on the riverway. And this particular goose set a nest next to the sidewalk on like a little bush. And so people would walk by, but they but there was another goose. I think it's the male goose that was like just standing there and so people would like walk it was like they're peace, vicious people, they peace. are scary i know i know i don't I, I i i don't like them at all i understand it's it's nature and they have to do their thing but, um, but another thing that you mentioned um so new car owner what did you get what do you think? I got everyone's first starter car. What do you think that I got? Honda Civic. 2008 Honda yes. Civic. Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I felt like a really mature adult. I was like, yes, I'm finally a car owner. And I tell people like, oh, I had that when I was 15 or 16 or whatever. And I'm like, yep. Um, yeah. Bought it off of a lovely man in Jamaica Plain. And her name is Chocolate Thunder. She goes by Coco for short. Beautiful. <laughs> That's great. I mean, so no, you're usually a biker though. Yeah. So like what made what prompted this modal shift? Oof. I feel like there was three primary considerations. Um one is that I own a cat and You own two. I well, one and a half. I'm okay, fostering. Okay, fine, I'm fostering. Fine, fine. Maybe if anyone wants to adopt a love very lovely cat, <laughs> I have a foster. <laughs> um so as any like once someone parents or know would know what pets like now when I'm going home for the holidays, like I got baggage in tow. I used Totes. to like have a backpack, go down to the train station, running late, hop on the train, good to go. Now I'm loading up food and toys and catnip <laughs> and like putting him in his cat backpack and like that was not sustainable. Yeah. So that helped. Um, but actually, the real, like, the primary reason was I have two very, very good friends from undergrad. We've been friends for, well, 
I'll let people figure out the math at that point. But a long enough time, we're very close. And one of them lives up in Amesbury. And is, that's part of your tattoos, right? It is. Yeah. I love it. No, they got that's this beautiful. for me on my 30th birthday. So we're really close. And she, Caitlin has been commuting to me since we have been friends. She lives up in Amesbury. Aww. I've been in Central Square. She has driven, God, I don't know how many hours. And she has a puppy now and Aww. like is having harder with terms of work. Like we're all getting older. Time is getting more precious. Yeah. And I, it's my turn. It's my turn to start commuting. And so I was like, I've got to, got to man up. I got to get a pair of wheels and I got to get up to Amesbury more often. So that was, that was the big motivator. Oh, that's an awesome story. I love the fact that like, you know, you've been able to maintain those relationships from college. I, I lived at home, uh, when I was going to, to undergrad. And for me, the main reason was because my brother and I were seven years apart and I was the eldest. And so I kind of, I wanted to be there for him and, I don't know. I think as a first generation Latina, like I just wanted to be there for my parents and help. And um, and anyway, I guess I mentioned that because I just didn't get as connected to the on campus experience. So like I have a friend, you know, that we're still in contact and stuff, but nowhere near to the level that you have. And I just think that that's really awesome that you guys have been able to. To, to, you know, let that I, friendship last. I love them. They're a big part of my life. Um, but I feel like I think of you as someone with a, like a big network, a big, robust network. Like whenever I mention the Trust Center, most like nine times out of ten, they're like, oh, I know Jenny at the Trust Center. Um, or you're you're traveling down to New York. You're working on uh, more initiatives than I can count. So I feel like you've always have you always been such a good network builder or are you conscious of doing that? It's funny, you know. I'm not conscious of doing that. And I would say that like when I first came to MIT um, to do double masters in urban planning and business, it didn't dawn on me how important networking was until I came and started to do my MBA. And and I guess, you know, like as a, as a Latina, like, I was always told just work hard and if you work hard, you know, you will be rewarded and you know, it, it'll work out and so forth. And then I get here and I'm like, holy shit, it is about who you know, because it's those people that are doing the hiring decisions or those people that are making the purchasing decisions. And if you happen to have a relationship with them, they're going to think of you. And so that's the moment that it clicked for me. And I started to, to say to myself, basically, like, I need to learn how to do this and find my style, right? Because like, the other thing is one of my core team members, uh, while I was doing my MBA, he was an amazing, like, he could go to a party and talk to different people I and I like that. hate that yeah. I do not I do not like that and so and in my mind that was my mental model of a networker and I'm like well that's not going to happen but what I didn't realize is that I was reaching out to people I was having coffee chats I was you know in the things that I really cared about I would get really involved like I was a member of the design club and then I became a leader of the design club and then I tried to find companies where we could partner our members to do projects. And I never realized that just in that process of being interested, caring about wanting to learn about other things, that that's also networking too. It's organic networking. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that, you know, like, as I reflect and you mentioned that, um, that's what I think it ended up turning into just wanting to, to be curious about people and helping where I could. And, and I think in that process, it's sort of lent itself to a network. I like that style. And this, I, I mean, we're housed in Sloan and seeing everyone and knowing that's such a priority, I, not a priority, but knowing the it's impact the that learning. it has. Yeah. I, that's something that I'm trying to consciously get better on. It's very 
rare that I feel like an engineer, but in those instances, I do. Like, I, which is I, funny because I'm sure in the engineering circles, you're like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love people. I love hanging out with people. Like, I get energy from hanging out with people. In that sense, I like think I'm the traditional definition of an extrovert. But nothing kills my energy faster than like your post-conference networking session. I like that just exhausts me entirely, and I. It's so yeah. passionately. Um, and so, Same. like, finding the different styles of, like, what works for you and just, you know, like an entrepreneur, picking yourself up, brushing yourself off and going to do it again. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Your comment about working hard, though, I don't know if you saw this, and I don't mean to, like, throw him under the bus, but I think, was it Bill Gates? Someone, I think it was Bill Gates, got pushback from... You're grinning. You know that this is going to be something interesting. He was talking to a group of students or professionals and someone asked him, like, what do you what would you recommend for success and how or how to make yourself stand out? And I'm probably bastardizing a lot of things, but it's semi relevant to the story. And he was like, oh, like, just work hard, just work hard. And like people will notice you and like give you the recognition you deserve. Like there's no need to like help to promote yourself. And yeah, you're shaking your head because we know that that's not true. No, and <laughs> especially because his first investor was his mom. Was it really? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that she actually connected him to some of his first clients. And so I just find that, you know, like really hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's malicious intent, but he was rightfully called out being like, hey, there's a lot of people who work hard that don't get recognized for a lot of different reasons. Um, some benign, some not. And I, I, whenever I feel bad about having to, not feel bad, but feel conflicted about having to put myself out there or like work on that networking, I'm like, look, it doesn't all happen organically. Like sometimes you just got to put in a little bit more elbow grease on that front. Totally, totally. And, and I will say that, yeah, you, and you can still work hard and not get it. Yeah. You know, and um, I was mentioning this to you that I was I'm in a in a reading group um, mm -hmm. with a, with a social justice nonprofit um, this, that does some really uh, amazing work um, and is based out of uh, the Upham's Corner area in Boston. And one of the members of the reading group, uh, she's an African-American artist. And, um, you know, as we were sort of reading this book of ideas, uh, arrangements, effects, she was basically saying work twice as hard, get half as much. Like, that's the story, at least for her, that, that she learned from her mother, like being an African-American woman and family. And it's like, yeah, you're going to work twice as hard and get half as much. So not only do you get half as much and you're working twice as hard, you don't have any time to network either. So it's like, sure, in your context, totally makes sense, man. Yeah. So I don't know. I, don't know. I think about, I guess it's a slightly different twist on networking, but I mean, we work, we interact with so many students and I like, I love that part of it. Same, um, same. And so, you know, sometimes people ask you for advice and sometimes I feel like I'm like, yes, I've got advice. Other times I'm like, ah, you know, I'm still learning. <laughs> um, but I, I'm always just so impressed by like how aware they are and how proactive a lot of the students that we see are in like reaching out. Like I was never that's like, I didn't, I didn't go to office hours. I didn't like say hi to the professor, wish them Merry Christmas. If they said stay in touch, I didn't stay in touch. It's like, oh, they don't really want to hear from me. And so I, I tell all of the students and I'm like, man, if I could, if I could have you learn one thing, it's when they say they want to hear from me. Like when I tell you, reach out, like I really want you to. And I totally. just feel like I always went from, oh, I don't want to impose. I don't want to impose. And I'm trying to like share that knowledge back being like, actually impose. We want to hear from you. Totally, totally. And I guess that, 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 that is the thing, right? That like, even as undergrads, those folks that really want to, they are so good at leaning in, which I'm just like, oh, so impressed. You've learned so much. You've gotten further. But I guess a question that I have for you, because this is something that I was just wondering earlier, is like, as you're mentoring, 
how do you think you're learning? You know, because for me, like, I do think that, you know, life is a journey and that um, we all have the same destination. So, like, let's not worry about that, but let's enjoy the journey. That's the nicest way I've ever heard someone talk about death. We've all got the same destination. <laughs> yeah, we've all got the same destination. And you yeah. know what? We take the same things with us, right? So, like, you know, we worry on the day to day about those things. But frankly, it's about the journey that we're taking in each step. And so in my mind, I'm always thinking I'm in process in that journey. I'm not an expert. I'm continually learning and I want to continually learn from others. And so I I just wonder, like for you, what do you do? You, like I'm always thinking like when I'm doing these mentoring sessions, what am I learning about how I mentor or what am I learning about how I'm thinking about that problem and how can I internalize that? How did you think about oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Those two things. Um, I think like when mentoring or not always, not even just a mentor and when having those one-on-one -on -one conversations, it's how do I show up best for this person? Like figuring mm. out like, what do they need from me? Which when mentoring it, like, it's, do I give them more structure? Do I let them tease it out on their own? Do they not really want that right now? Is there a deeper issue? And like, we're not trained therapists, nor is this like, but totally. sometimes it like gets into that category. And so it's thinking about like, how do I best show up for this person? How do I figure out what they need? And how do I give that to them and make sure I, I do so in a, in a style that works for them? Because we have our own styles. Totally. I'm usually more direct. And sometimes I think that's beneficial. And others I'm like, yeah, maybe tough love isn't a good style right now. <laughs> I mean, I felt that way during Delta V. Like, so I as part of the co-leads at Delta V, like we met with a yeah. lot of students. I, like, they were fantastic. It was a fantastic experience. I don't think I've ever been so emotionally exhausted. Like I'd have mm. like several one-on-ones back to back and I'd leave and I'd be like, okay, like I, I, that took so much emotional energy in the best possible way. I thought it was yeah. learning and growing, but it was much more than I ever anticipated. Um, so always that. And then the second component you mentioned is like, how am I thinking about this framework? I, I think I'm a verbal processor. I definitely get that from my mom. Um, and so someone asked me a question and I'm like, oh, I like, I've been wrestling with that myself. Let me, let me work, talk you through my framework and in talking through and getting their feedback and advice. And I'm usually clear, like, or I try to be like, Hey, I don't have the answer for this, but this is just like my two cents. And sometimes that also helps my own learning. So yeah. I definitely agree with both of those, but I don't know. Do you have a, do you have a trick? Can I learn? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm always thinking about like, um, just the process of coaching mm. uh, and like what does that mean in terms of um, how do I get better at coaching how do I get better at like diagnosing what's needed and how do I then help better explain so it's a lot around like communication people reading and so forth and I guess I put it for myself in the context of I want to go and continue to lead, right? Like I'm an entrepreneur, right? So I want to go and lead other organizations. I want to be able to lead other people. I do think of myself as a service leader. And so in my mind, I'm always constantly thinking about like, how am I sharpening my tools kit of being able to, to, to coach and help people so that when I'm, you know, back in a leadership position within my own organization, that these experiences are helping me get better at those things. Yeah. The, the giving yourself grace made me think of it. I've had a few 
geriatric feeling moments in the past year or so. <laughs> One, I needed help with PowerPoint the other day, which is not a good sign. <laughs> Too young for this. You moved on to Canva, okay? No, I haven't. No, damn it. <laughs> no, I haven't. Um, <laughs> no, but I um, I was meeting with a student, and they were they were distressed about their grade, and you've, you're nodding. You've been in this situation before, and mm-hmm. I felt, I heard the words coming out of my mouth. Like, like I was understanding, I was empathizing, we were trying to problem solve and I was like you know like I, I this this grade is is important to you but it's not gonna like dictate the course of your life um and as soon as I said that I was like if look if someone had told me that when I was an undergrad I would have rolled my eyes and they did not which was kind of them I was like and I was like I know how this sounds but I promise you like you are losing so much sleep over this right now and it just was such a like flipped moment and I'm not saying that I had it right like but I just remember so vividly being in their shoes and being able to like not change that perspective and then coming be like I don't know how to bridge this gap with you to like help you see that the other side is gonna be okay um and actually if I could like what they this might have to get edited out they looked at me and they're like well that might be okay for you you went to business school I was offended on my own. I did not stand up for business school. I was like, I didn't go to business school. I'm an engineer. <laughs> like my first vote of defense was not to defend the business school students, which I'm sorry. I apologize. I'll defend you. But to be like, that's not me. Not at all. <laughs> you know, if, 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 it, if it gives you any, any solace, many of us going through business school at some point decided that grades was not going to be the thing. I, it was the learning. It was the practical which experiences. Which makes perfect and, sense. That's the right priority, like to the network. Like you, yeah. you're often paying a lot of money and spending a lot of your time. Like the education is valuable, but the grade is not necessarily reflective of that. So I like there is no shame on that. I think that's a very appropriate reflection of like the good priorities that you want in life. Like it takes a lot to be like, hey, I don't, I don't need an A. Like especially for the type of people who come to MIT. Like I still struggle with that when I don't get a. My Uber score is not good, and I am mad about it, and I want to know why I'm not a five on Uber. <laughs> Well, and, and I remember when we were talking about this, um, uh, you know, after the happiness co- uh, mm. presentation where we were talking about, you know, how to support students and uh, many of them struggling with deadlines and so forth because of, you know, maybe other macro conditions that are affecting um, their their psyche. Um, but I had a very similar situation, you know, in, in, in one of my classes where uh, we had an assignment, had been in the syllabus for a while, and... And, and and yet people felt like they were coming up against the clock. And so to your point, you know, very concerned about quality of deliverable and all these kinds of things. And I just kind of and I don't know, maybe that's my geriatric moment. But like I just felt the need to remind folks that we all make trade offs of how we're going to spend our time. And sometimes when we make those decisions, the outcomes of that are not going to be what we might like. And and then specifically what I was trying to explain to them is like, look, if you decided to wait for to do this paper in the last minute, you've done that and now be in peace with what comes out. But I'm not changing the deadline, you know, and, and, and I just I it wasn't it, it wasn't about trying to like not honor or respect the fact that like they're sensitive about that but I was more trying to help them be in peace with the fact that it's it is okay like there are instances where we make 
these decisions and then we might not be happy with the way that the outcome is and that's part of like to me that's also part of the learning like part of the learning is to be in peace even if it doesn't go well that's i i I fully agree. And I think that's super valid. I find that particular dynamic and others like it to be an interesting element of mentoring where I'm able to articulate things that I fully believe in. Like I fully believe in that. I don't like, that's an area that I'm working on. Like I wouldn't be able to do that as a student and, or even now, like I'm a reformed procrastinator and only moderately reformed. Um, <clears throat> there are some things that are like, I just, I know that logically I have made these choices. I'm okay with, I should be okay with it. I'm able, I hear that mentoring voice, but man, I would be feeling pretty like torn up in that. I call that my monkey brain. I'm like, okay, like my logical brain is like, here are all those things. And my monkey brain is like, this is the emotion that we feel right now. And I'm able to give that advice, but I can also, I would have a hard time receiving it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that's okay, right? Like that's part of us also being in process. And I think that, you know, to, to, to get a little bit of that from the students too, to remember that, like, you know, we're not on high, like spewing these, you know, (laughs) it's like, we're also humans too. And maybe we have a little bit more experience on some things that you're trying to get into, but I'm pretty sure you have experience on things that I don't know anything about either. And I'm excited to learn about them. Yeah. Well, I I, I believe that the reason that um, high achieving people tend to have uh, uh, just very critical perspectives of themselves is because it's that very voice that has been driving their you. success. Yeah. And and it, it does come from a place where you saw yourself succeed at one point and, and you loved something of that. You either loved the recognition, um, you loved uh, how people treated you afterwards, uh, you loved what opportunities that opened up for you, you loved the flexibility that maybe that opened There's something that that gave you. And so now all of a sudden you're like, I need more of that. And you have to get that because if you don't get that, then you're not going to get all of these other goodies. And I don't know. I just, I I feel like that it becomes like a, almost like a hamster wheel of like, oh, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Well, yeah, because so I think yes. And I think there might also be the flip side of that. If you have the failure experience, I'm like, I never want to feel that again. Mm -hmm. But to the hamster wheel part, I think the more that you succeed, the less comfortable you get with failing like it's, yeah it's because like, now you get even more afraid of something going wrong yeah and you have to work even harder and you're unused to it and it's uncomfortable and like embarrassing and you're not you you're not immune to that but you're also not like toughened up again not toughened up that's a bad example but it's a new exp- and an uncomfortable emotion that you have to work with totally totally and i find that that is something that happens a lot particularly um with undergrads Uh, Because so many of them come from communities where they were really the best and then they come to MIT where they are with all of the other bestests. (laughs) And now it's like, oh, crap, I can't just get away with half-assing it um, because, which was enough in that context to be at the top. And so I'm like, phew. And now it's like, okay, you're starting from the bottom and you kind of have to figure out, am I in peace with that failure or not? Yeah, you had less like less literal time in your life to be able to fail and to fall. Like like shots hurt a lot more when I was ten than they do now because I've gotten more shots. Like the actual 
pain experience hasn't changed. You I'm mean like, vaccines? Yes, I should. Okay. Uh, yeah, I should, okay. I should okay. clarify. Sorry. Needles. Sorry. Sorry. Needles. Although I'm still not great at giving blood, I cry every time. And I, they look at me and they're like, "Is this your first time giving blood?" I was like, "Nope." It's just we're just gonna leak out the eyeballs right now. <laughs> um, it's just gonna happen. <laughs> I used to give quarterly at my undergrad because we had a blood drive in every single time. <laughs> I've always wanted to give blood, mm. but like every when I went the first time, I had a bit of a cold, and they're like, oh, "Don't don't give blood if you have a cold because that could then get whoever gets this blood." sick and, and ever since then I've always been like if I don't feel at tip top shape I'm not going to do it so now I'm never done okay. um that's been it yeah so needles yeah. <laughs> shots but actually that kind of made me think have I ever like monologue to you about motivation styles and how fascinating I find this no okay so I'll let's do mini it. TED talk okay, um, okay, let's do so it. I rode in undergrad and rowing like I was in a boat of eight people and you have a little tiny person in the front who like has to steer the boat and that's their main job but like the real main job with the rowers that they're motivating you mm-hmm. and so in the boat, it's one person for every eight rowers. But then when you're on land and you're doing these training tests called 2Ks to 2,000 meters to see what position you are in the boat or if you're even in the boat at all, you can have your own coxswain. Like you can get a friend or you can get um, the coxswain and you train them to cox you how you want to be motivated. And so because everyone gets their own individual cox and if you choose, you can like visually see and hear the representation of how someone wants to be motivated. And you do hundreds of these tests over your four years as a rower. And so you really can narrow down. You start off with the generic, you get I don't know, a random coxswain, you're a freshman, she coxes you through. And then you're like, oh, I didn't like it when you said that, or I liked it when you said this. And then you slowly like narrow down into what you want. Mm. And just the range of what people found motivating. Um, like I had a friend who wanted to be like pumped up. She wanted to be hyped up. Her coxswain's telling her she's doing an amazing job. They're saying she's not tired. Uh, and one who didn't want to be coxed at all. She listens to, I hope you dance. I know. I know. <laughs> if you're listening and you know who you are, I'm not judging you, but that was the weirdest thing I've ever heard. It's not a pump-up song. Um, and I wanted a really mean coxswain. Like, I wanted someone, because I like found out like, I cared about the team, and I wanted someone to stand there and be like, you're letting the team down. Like, what is that score? Like, is this really the best that you have? And then I'd get angry, and I'd be like... F you. Like, no, I've got better. <laughs> and I have been fascinated by that ever since to like, just see how, which I think about when mentoring, like, what do you sure. need for this person to show up? And it can be extremely like, do you, and I think about it in teaching, like, do yes. you need tough love? Is that's what's going to motivate you? Do you want me to say you have to be there or you don't get attendance credit or your homework is due at this point? Or do you need like a few extensions, longer conversations? I, and that's just sort of Fun is the uh, minimizing word, but I love that challenge of trying to like be what that person needs. Like yeah. we've got to be a million coxswains in one. How how did you land on your style? Like what does that process looks look like? Um. So I think it's a little bit of rinse and repeat. Like you have someone kind of going through the standard. I guess maybe like tailoring a suit. I've never had a suit tailored, but I imagine they like start off with something kind of normal and then they see where you need to be customized. But the first person would be like, yeah, I didn't say like, good job, Macaulay, et cetera. And then it's like, man, when you told me I wasn't tired at the thousand meters, like I really didn't like that. I was really tired. I was like, no, I'm like, I'm pretty tired. So I kind of want to stop now. <laughs> like, can you do something else? And then you slowly work uh, on it. Okay. I actually, my, my best friend who I bought the car to go visit, she, I trained her to be my coxswain and she is such a nice human being. And she was 
was so uncomfortable with it because I wanted her to be so mean. Uh, and at one point, she's coxing me, and I I got a little. She's yelling at me exactly like I told her to do, and I got a little lightheaded, and I fell off the the erg. And she's never let me forget. She goes, "Remember when you made me be so mean to you, and I was yelling at you, and then you passed out, and the coach saw." <laughs> You're like, I was clearly motivated. Yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> I was like, and I was going I was very fast, wasn't going. I? <laughs> that is intense. Oh, my gosh. Like thinking about, I don't know, you just saying that kind of reminds me of birthing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get a coxswain on your birthing? Do you have someone to? Well, you, I mean, yes. It's supposed to, it should be your partner. Yeah. Um, I ended up doing hypnobirthing. Really? Um, but this idea of like, you know, how do you get in your head? How do you figure out what you need so that you can sort of be in the moment and you just, and your body just goes, right? Your, you, your body just like goes, goes, goes until it can't because you're just not thinking that way. And, um, and, and yeah, so it just kind of makes me think about my, my birthing experiences because um, I, I, I did do natural uh, birth I, I, through a midwifery uh, practice. And I should know what this means because a lot of babies have entered my life, but natural yes. birth is no epidural? Correct. Okay. So okay. so I, I um, at the uh, Mount Auburn uh, Hospital in mm-hmm. Cambridge, they have a pretty large uh, midwifery practice. Um, and so uh, I just remember, like, especially with our first, like, coming in and part of hypnobirthing was deep breathing exercises. And so think about the red balloon expanding. <laughs> think about the red balloon contract. Expand. You know, and I'm just, just talk to me about the red balloon. <laughs> <laughs> That I could like do the breathing exercises while my my stomach muscles are contracting and extracting in order to like release this child into this world, right? But like you know, when I was ready to put, you just felt it, you know. And so, anyway, to your point, like once you find that thing that works for you, that kind of gets your brain in the zone, and you can execute, just just go with the flow. I have loved like some things about getting older and I like knock on wood I hope that I get to say that in many many for many many decades but one of the things I've loved about getting older is just figuring out how I tick more mm, and more mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, that constant mm-hmm. is a great example like figuring out hey this is what's going to motivate me like I'm a reformed procrastinator figuring out like hey what's actually going to get me to do this on time is it fear of failure is it giving myself a bribe is it setting a fake deadline like what what is driving me from that yes and I love figuring that out sometimes I'm really disappointed with the answer I'm like god I hate that I have to trick myself into doing this but this is how we're gonna get done but I just thought that's so cool um so I, like I love that. I love You've said reformed procrastinator a couple of times, oh. and as an active procrastinator, tell me what you mean <laughs> by reformed procrastinator. Okay, well, and I how can, did you get to that point? I can tell you with an anecdote, two anecdotes. So Beautiful. I missed two days of high school. I was out two days, I think, in high school. Um, I went when I was sick. I went when the weather was bad. The only two days that I missed um, were two days, one sophomore year, one junior year, I think, where I had a big project done or do because I did not get that project due on time. Um, and that memory has stuck with my sophomore year English teacher who has mentioned to my mom multiple times because my mom worked at the school. She goes, oh yeah, wasn't Macaulay absent the day the poetry journal was due? <laughs> I was like, Miss Locker, it's been like 10 years. Can we, can we move that? <laughs> Please, this? let's move on. Past like this. not a highlight in my life. Um, 
yeah, I I remember so many night, nights staying up late, just not studying and like pushing it. And I was able to, I think the one of the reasons that I was a good procrastinator, I was able to not worry about it. Yeah. Be like, oh yeah, I have that essay due tomorrow. It's 7 p.m. I'm going to go out and get a drink with friends and I'm not going to spend that time worrying about it. I'm going to actually be able to enjoy, which is great to be able to back burner things, but it did not work in terms of making me do this better. <laughs> um, and I... I think I just failed too many times. I, um, hmm, can I say this? Don't, well, you can't retract my degree, MIT. Um, my thesis was not good. Like my master's thesis was not good um, for a wide variety of reasons. And I will cut. I will give myself some slack on that in terms of like where the sponsor was interested, where I was interested, like a lot of other things. Thesis is hard, dude. It they, was the hardest thing I've ever done. It it was hard, and I I'm not a great writer, and I learned how to speak Spanish first, and to this day, like certain sentence structures, I just get wrong, and and so. Gosh, thesis is hard. Yeah, and stare like this is the thing I love ChatGPT for. Like staring at a blank screen does not like I really don't respond well to it. So I remember writing, I'd mm. be like, I write two sentence. I watch three YouTube videos. I write two sentence. <laughs> like I went to my advisor in February, and I was like talking about graduation. He's like, yeah. Wait, you think you're graduating in a couple months? And I was like. Oh, this isn't a good sign. <laughs> Do you um, think I'm not? <laughs> yes. And he had every reason to think that I wasn't. I showed him no drafts of my thesis. It was February. But I think, honestly, that was, like, I failed hard. Um, I mean, I graduated. I wrote a thesis. I'm not super proud of it. And those were some miserable, miserable months of my life. Um, like, I yeah. was getting no sleep. I was probably 90% Diet Coke at some point to run off of caffeine. Yeah. And I just wasn't proud of it. And I... Like there wasn't just one incident, but after that I started to say, okay, like what, what do I do? At least from a work perspective, I can procrastinate in other areas of my life, but what do I do to like stop myself from getting in that position again? Cause that mm -hmm. was, this is not a way I want to show up for myself or for others. And it was just truly miserable on so many levels. <laughs> so, so then, so what tips and tricks did you come up with for yourself and like the workspace? I love Asana. Um, mm, so you have your own Asana for like... I have my own stuff. Asana. Yeah. Oh, I have my own Asana for my own... Like I have a personal Asana. I have a like an MIT Asana. Um, the reoccurring oh. tasks are great. And then I build in a lot of fake deadlines. Like I was a research fellow at D-Lab after graduating and yeah. I was writing another research paper and I kind of call that my like makeup thesis. Like I entered it intending to like write another research report and I, I built in a lot of deadlines and my boss was phenomenal. He's like, I don't like... I like, oh, I'm late on this deadline. He goes, you set that deadline. I don't care. I'm like, I need to care about this. I'm yes. late on this deadline. And so then let me do this. Like, I mean, this is what I'm going to have for you instead. Yeah. And he was supportive in that, but it wasn't coming from me. So I think that was a good, it was good practice. of like having that that connection and being able to say hey it can be months before our next meeting but it'll be as if it was just yesterday when we're finally face to face I call those dude friendships because I feel like most of the mm -hmm. men in my life with their other dude friends I'd be like oh who's your like when I'm starting to get to know someone like oh who's your best friend they're like oh my best friend is Joe and I'm like oh awesome like where is Joe they're like oh they're out in Minnesota when is the last time you talked to them uh, probably about a year but I'll talk to them in another couple of months I was like this is your best friend but every time they talk it's like there's nothing happened I don't usually operate that way I'm like I would I want to be a more regular presence in your life and I want you to be a more regular presence in mine I mean I have some friends totally. we catch up but you gotta have the balance mm-hmm 
I think the balance is important. I think to your point, it's it's the time and and how do you like you know make that work? I, I'm curious to see how as more of your friends procreate, yeah, you and me both, how that affects uh, this this <laughs> desire. <laughs> I lost more sleep over that in my 20s. I think actually COVID was kind of an interesting litmus test for that. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, COVID was rough for a lot of reasons, but yeah. um, I think that that was an interesting moment of I'll say like vulnerability for myself where I was willing to like prioritize that those friendships to be like okay like let's let's form this bubble let's stay together let's not be alone and look I know people are competing with friends and family and relationships and I get that but like I wasn't quite prepared to see those decisions. Like I had a friend move home to be with her family. I had another friend decide that she wasn't going to see anyone um, because oh, she wow. was worried about like it impacting her job. And I understood all of those, but that really hurt. I was like, look, I was ready to like ride or die in this point. Like I thought that you were the people that I can't live without. And that was, that was a tough thing to navigate of, Hey, this is how we're all going to weigh our own different priorities. And you mean a lot to me, but we're not quite on the like same spectrum of decision making. Mm-hmm. So how'd you process that? I cried a lot. I cried a lot. Um, I also like was living, but I talked a lot to my cat. I adopted a cat. I adopted a cat. I cried a lot, and I talked to the cat a lot. Um, <laughs> so that's very healthy way of processing. Um, I, think, I think it's good. I, I actually think that crying is underrated. Mm. I think I think that there's way too much of a social stigma on it. But I think you know. Did you watch? Um, Inside Out, the Disney I've Pixar. seen it, yeah, a long time ago. Uh, you know, what I love about that, that movie is that it actually does a good job of normalizing all emotions to mm. sort of say not there there isn't one that is good and there isn't one that is bad. They're all about helping you process whatever is happening, and it's beautiful. And it's true. And I think, um, you know, when I'm sometimes feeling sad I'm like what am I feeling and how do I listen to that and how do I let it out because if I can't let it out I can't process it and if I can't process it I'm suppressing it and if I'm suppressing it I'm only going to make it worse um, and so I I think a lot about that because you know for, for I think for myself growing up it's like don't cry mm-hmm. don't 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 be weak yeah exactly and it's like what the fuck like it's, it's got absolutely nothing to do with being weak and it's got everything to do about learning how to confront what you're feeling so that you can be able to process moving forward. That's one of those things where I mentally and logically agree with you 100%. And then my monkey brain is like, fuck that. I hate crying in public. I hate crying in front of individuals. I hate I was I hated crying in therapy, which is where you're supposed to cry. I had I was having a rough week last week, and I took my car to the mechanic to get tires, and I ended up getting a ticket, and it was a long day. Oh, no. And then I was like, getting, I was being given too? a whole, yeah, oh my god, Jesus. summer film. Um, it was only partially my fault. Um, <laughs> I did not see the garage that I was parking in front of. Um, I maintain. Well, because it was for the a record tough day. that I did not park in front of that day. garage. Um, yeah, so I'm getting kind of a hard time at the mechanic, and then I just start to get a little squishy. And I was like, Gemma, this is not the time. Macaulay, like, hold it together. Like, I hate doing that. <laughs> so on this point, another thought that's crossed my mind is. Um, the perception of soft skills, like the mm. word, like, like, you know, hard skills and soft skills and how that labeling, I think, creates a certain social stigma around those particular skills. And so in my mind, I was trying to think, like, how would we go about renaming those skills in a way that... Um, 
is equalizes maybe i don't know what i'm trying to say but but like doesn't create any positive or negative connotations that are more neutral and speak to what it is you know like we'd have a more diverse group of people doing the naming convention to begin with because you better believe they were like what skills do women have let's call those the soft well, skills and exactly <laughs> this is exactly my point which is it's it's rooted in a historically um exclusive environment yeah. which which i think we ought to question and we ought to be able as as humans that are continually evolving be able to question these things and say it's the words that matter like we were saying earlier and how do we take ownership of that to say, you know what, I, I, I reject those old and discriminatory labels and 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 I, I push for, for something better. And the thing that I fully agree on all of that and the thing that I find fascinating and kind of ironic is that as I think people get farther and farther along in their careers uh, of all genders, um, you need more and more soft skills. Like I, how many like VPs of engineering are like, I haven't actually, like, I'm now, I'm now a manager. I'm not an engineer. And that's all these soft skills. Like they're so critical, but we often like kind of push them aside. Right. Exactly. For these very discriminatory reasons, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, again, we have to do something about it because for me, like one of the reasons why I wanted to do the MBA was because I realized I had already gotten to like middle management and I wanted to kind of keep growing. And, and I knew that if I didn't learn how to become a better listener, if I didn't learn how to be a a, a better communicator, then, and also how to learn how to be humble in the sense of like accepting the fact that I'm not going to know everything and that I can still be a leader. Yeah. And, and that was a lot of internal work that I think ought to be perceived in a different way. Yeah, I think it should be celebrated. Yeah. Well, that's it for another episode of Trust the Process. This show is edited and produced by me, Chris Burns. The executive producer is Greg Weiber. We record all of our episodes at the Martin Trust Center for MIT Entrepreneurship. See you next time.